Let me begin this sermon um, by just a simple statement. The more you value someone, the more you listen to them. The more you value someone, the more you listen to them. A number of us have been uh, going to doctors. I went to a doctor last week for a frozen shoulder. It might be diabetes. It could be cancer. It might be for various other ailments. When we go to the doctor, don't we express our value to the doctor when we go in there saying, you have what it takes to fix me, and I need you to fix me. So for my physical therapy, I don't know how to do physical therapy. I was a personal trainer for a number of years, but nothing like what this guy does. I value his knowledge. I value his training. I value his abilities. I say, look, help me, please. You need to fix me. Can you imagine, on the flip side, if we went to go see a doctor, they gave us some solid advice. Let's say a doctor that we all trust and know. He gives you advice, and you just kind of say, yeah, I don't think I'm going to follow that. I think I'm going to go on the internet and go do my own research and come up with what I think is a better treatment for my prognosis. In fact, your prognosis of me is probably wrong, so therefore I'm just going to go ahead and do it. It's actually a waste of time for that doctor to come and see you, right? If the doctor knew that that's the attitude you were going to have, he would probably say, you just go find a different doctor. The more we value someone, the more we listen to them. That's what our passage addresses this morning. It's what Jesus addresses this morning. Jesus wants to test you to see how much you value him, to see whether or not you will value him. And our passage this morning is Luke 8, verses 4 to 15. That's Luke 8. Verses 4 to 15, so if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. As you turn there, I'll give you a bit of background. This parable is known as the parable of the soils. Um, Parables are are basically stories that have one, maybe two, maybe three uh, corresponding meanings or points. So you can't press every single detail of a parable. That would be unhelpful here. And Jesus uses them often. He uses them in such a way to sort of bring us to the fork in the road and say, okay, are you like this person or this thing or this thing over here? He helps us see things from a divine perspective, from the way that he sees things. So he brings us to that fork in the road and through telling the story, he pushes us one down one side or down the other side. So as we read and as we study this parable, let this parable sift you. It's like Jesus putting you through that sieve And he's trying to see whether or not you're going to pass the test or whether you stay. All right, Luke 8, verses 4 to 15. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. The other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing they may not see, Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. 
and the de- and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble heart, noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Okay, end of parable, end of explanation. The main point, if you're taking notes today, the main point, God saves those who hold, hear, and do his word. God saves those who hear, hold, and do his word. And then he illustrates his point by uh, comparing these the unproductive soil and then the productive soil. So before we get into this comparison, this illustration, uh, let's try and put ourselves into the context in which this parable comes up. What's the background? Okay, Jesus, he's, his, his popularity is skyrocketing at this time. If you look at the chapters that come before Luke 8, you don't have to do it now. Uh, but you see him, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's forgiving people's sins. And it says there in verse 4, people were flocking to him. It says a large crowd was gathering, people from town after town. So you can imagine maybe hundreds of people, thousands of people, at the very least, curious. Curious about this man who comes doing the very thing that God does. Could this be God come in the flesh? There's, There's like this tabloid buzz you can imagine the electricity that might be co- going on as, as we all might be flocking to see this one person. So you might have this man over here claiming, he's telling his story to this crowd, saying that, yes, Jesus cast out demons from me. You have this woman over here who was healed of some illness. She's telling her story too. So you can imagine there's a lot of momentum going on, a lot of curiosity. It's a good chance that, well, certainly the case, that not everyone in the crowd actually believed him. Right, so at the very least, they're going to check out this person. What is this guy? Who is this man who comes doing what only God does? But it's interesting to see what, what Jesus does here. Right? If his gospel were a gospel of health and wealth and healing, he would just continue going on healing, right? He'd just invite everybody who's ill and just continue to heal them one after other. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that on purpose. Right, if he were a health and wealth gospel preacher, if that was his gospel, get rich now, he'd be giving out money. But he doesn't do that. What does he do here in this parable? The thousands, the hundreds of people that are gathering to him, what does he do? He reorients them to his word. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? You see right there what the priorities of Jesus are. He reorients them to him and his word. The Bible says uh, in chapter 8 that he's going around preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Look there in eight chap- sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus traveled about from town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he's about. His word, and then also himself. He calls people to reorient themselves to him and his word. And he goes after their hearts. He's going after their hearts, not their money, but their hearts. And he gives this call. 
Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's like a, a grand call to salvation. The call to salvation, the gospel, goes to everybody. If anybody has ears to hear, listen up. It's a call to salvation. Now, let's focus on this call. Because it's really important to what Jesus is doing here. Not only is it a call to salvation, it's also a call that works in such a way to confirm condemnation. Right? The call is a call to salvation. It's also a call that confirms condemnation. What do I mean by that? Look there in verses 9 and 10. His disciples don't really get it. And this is what his disciples say. His disciples ask him, What this parable meant, he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that, so there's that purpose statement, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Right? So those who can't see or those who are seeing, who really don't see, the parables work in such a way to confirm condemnation. Um, We can think about it this way. By way of analogy, imagine you all are citizens of the kingdom. And you love the kingdom. You love the king. You think he is all just. He actually cares for his people. He wants to see them prosper. So he orders the laws in such a way that brings them fruitfulness, productivity, protection. And then the king finds out that there are people plotting his assassination. So what does he do? He issues a royal decree on a royal scroll with his royal stamp. And he says, you need to pay attention. If you ever find out who these people are, let, that, let us know immediately. Right, what do those words do? You love the king, keep in mind. What do those words do? They galvanize you, they strengthen you. It's a call to exercise your loyalty because you love the king and you love the people as well. It's a call to salvation, if you will. A call to follow the king. Now imagine if you are the one plotting the king's assassination. Those same words will elicit a very different response, wouldn't it? You are the ones who want the king dead. So you receive that same edict, the royal edict, on that same royal scroll with the same royal seal. You open it, you look at it, and you think, I'm going to wipe my child's bottom with this because I don't really care. Or you're going to blow your nose in it. But you're going to be held accountable for that, aren't you? The king will call you to account when he catches you, and he's going to say, how did you respond to that? royal decree did you confess your sin did you repent it confirms your your condemnation that already exists in your heart so the par- that's the way the parable works call to salvation and in fact confirms condemnation for those who don't trust in jesus christ that's what jesus is doing right here all right so let's look at how jesus illustrates his point that god saves those who hear hold and do his word. Let's look at the unproductive soils. So if you're writing notes, that's the unproductive soils. Unfruitful hearing, or let's say. Okay, so the parable is the sower goes out, that's Jesus, and he's sowing his seed. The seed is the word. Some fall on the, what kind of path? The hardened path. This is what it says. Those along the path, is verse 11, are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Alright, it's pretty straightforward here. I've, <laughs> I've never done any planting or farming or anything. Um, but if, I, I know what it's like to cast seed on some really hard ground. Imagine, you know, thousands of feet go from, they go to, 
Imagine you got the donkeys' hooves, you got the crates, you got the wagons, etc. The sea's not going to go anywhere because the ground is so incredibly hard. It's just packed rock solid. It goes nowhere. And in fact, the seed gets trampled on. You almost have this like disregard for God's word for those hearts that are hard, like this path here. These people are hard-hearted. You can imagine them. I'm sure we all have friends. I'm sure we ourselves were once like this. We're just simply too busy. You know, you got that disregard. Sure, you know, God says, he says certain things. But I just don't really care. Maybe I'm too busy. This is how one pastor puts it. The footfalls of their own busy comings and goings and the traffic of life have so hardened them that nothing in God's truth stirs them. Maybe they've been taught to trample the word. Maybe they just simply don't care. For whatever reason, their hearts are hard. All right, that's the first soil. The next one, you got the, the, the seed is sown on rock. Uh, look there in verse 13. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Here you have the, the picture. You know, you can imagine the landscape in Palestine. You've got the, the solid limestone bedrock. You've got maybe two inches of topsoil there. Seed goes on it, um, and it might sprout up quickly, because it certainly does hold, hold moisture for a little bit of time, but then when the beating sun just hits and strikes that rock, really, you know, in an instant it's gone. Well, why? He says it's because of testing. Even though they hear and hold it, receive the word with joy, it says in the time of testing, they fall away. This testing could be because of false teaching. It could be because of just persecution or something like that. That's the idea that's going on there. You know, um, we as Christians would be really impressed with this little sprout that grows on that rocky soil. It, it grows up really fast. So if you can imagine, you know, we are, are evangelizing and then we see this little sprout growing really quickly. Uh, what are we going to do? We're going to say, wow, look at him. He's reading his Bible. He's attending church. He's evangelizing. He's walking the, the walk. He's talking the talk. Everything seems to be going really well. But in the time of testing, he falls away. He doesn't hold the word at the end of the day. He hears it. He may even to some degree receive it with joy. It's almost like an emotional response to the word of God. Uh, but he doesn't hold on to it. You know, every one of us, we should be reading this parable and thinking, okay, well, how do I, how do I apply it to myself? Um, we all go through tests, don't we? We all have that, that thing uh, that's hard for us to give up. And if and when that test comes, whether that test be a loss of relationship, whether that test be a, you know, yourself maybe losing your life, whether that be the fact that you can't get married or get that thing that you want, you know, your finances, your stock portfolio is tanking. You know, we know that when that thing is threatened, oh, it's dangerous. We all will be tested at some point in time. So it's good for us to ask ourselves that question. What is that one thing that we hold on to that we know will be so difficult to give up? Should the Lord call us to give it up? One pastor says, everyone has a hidden axis around which his life revolves. Every man has a price for which he is prepared or almost prepared to sell himself in his salvation. Where is this axis in my life? And what is this awful price for my heart? What's that one thing? 
you think will be most difficult to surrender to Jesus? Should he call you to give it up? That's, that's one good way of figuring out, okay, well, how do I persevere? How do I really hold on and persevere in this walk of faith? And then you can take what that issue is. Let's say the issue is sex. You go to the Bible and say, well, what does the Bible have to say about sex? And then you align your thinking to what God has to say. Okay, so we looked at the seed that fell on the hard soil, the seed that fell in the shallow soil. Now we took turn and look at the seed that fell among thorns. Look at 14. These seeds don't last either. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So here these people hear, but they are choked to death. So the thorns and thistles that they're sown among, they sort of suck the life water out of them. And they just wither and die. Uh, you all have probably seen it in your own backyard. I didn't see it until I moved to the Middle East. But uh, in Dubai, they have these massive weeds. I mean, we're talking about like you know, 110 degrees. All of a sudden, you get a little shower. And then overnight, you would get these six-foot-tall weeds. It's just incredible. And in Palestine, um, you know, they would be even different colors. They might bloom with some flowers and stuff like that. And at the rate at which they grow, they really need all that water. So they're just going to be sucking up from the ground. So those little sprouts that might have been planted, you know, they die. They get withered. That's what's going on here. They grow over time, these little sprouts, but then eventually we lose them over the weeds. Now here also, you know, if we're evangelizing someone, we'd be, we'd be encouraged. Okay, we see this little sprout growing up out of the desert dirt. And then we see this weed and think, oh no, okay, here we got this weed, life's pleasures, riches, worries. But then you got this little sprout and we'd be saying, oh yeah, they're both growing. Well, we pray. We pray that this little sprout will go. But then if you were to take pictures real time, you see soon enough that these weeds just, they just take over. The sprouts are dwarfed. Life's worries, pleasures, and riches, they consume you. And over time, if you aren't watching... Um, the nature of this, the nature of the heart is what Jesus is going at, remember? So it's not the situations that kill you. Life's worries, pleasures, and riches. It's not the situations that kill you. It's the heart that experiences the situations, isn't it? So you can take life's worries. Um, a, a trial, we know this throughout scripture, a trial is given to mature faith, to develop perseverance, to develop, develop trust in the Lord. But once you start taking your eyes off of Jesus Christ and you start looking at yourself, these life pleasures, or sorry, these life worries, they begin consuming you. Then you begin to have ungodly anxiety, ungodly stress. Take pleasure, for example. You know, I already mentioned sex. Sex is pleasurable. There's no doubt about that. That's what the Bible says. But you can actually use that in a twisted way. Sex is, is good, but within the bounds that God gives. You start, going, you start going after those things outside of those bounds and then you know your whole life can crumble or, or you start pursuing those things um, at the disregard of God. Right? You say, okay, God has given me th these, this realm in which I am to enjoy these things. I may not be there yet or maybe I am there yet, but you're saying, I don't really give a rip what, about what God says. I'm going to go and get these things anyways, regardless of what he says. And so you see that heart that goes after, that's a heart of idolatry. You take life's, uh, the riches. You know, money can be used, used for great things. Great things. Whether it be planting a church. Whether it be giving it away to help somebody really in need. Funding missionaries, etc. 
but it, it, it can also consume you to the, to the point where you, again, disregard God and go after those the gifts instead of the giver. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, how fast or how slowly is Satan putting your, his chokehold on you as we are wrestling with these things? Have you, have you taken your eyes off of Christ and have you started looking inward? Uh, idolatry, going after the gifts and not the giver himself. I love the way that it speaks about how these, these plants are being choked passively. Passively. It means that we all can sit there and if we aren't checking it, these things are going to choke us actively. We need to be on guard, hearing and holding and doing God's word. Okay, so th- those are the, that's the unproductive soil. Let's do a quick summary. These unfruitful soils, the path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, they all represent unfruitful hearing. They, they all represent people who at the end of the day do not follow Jesus Christ. They all represent people who at the end of the day do not follow Jesus Christ. Alright, now let's look at the productive soil. Look at verse 15. So remember, Jesus is speaking to this massive crowd. He's saying there's tons of obstacles to truly hearing my word. And here's this one productive soil, the productive hearers, the heart hearers, if you will. Sorry, if you will. Look at verse 15. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble, who with a noble and good heart hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. These guys are heart hearers, and God has softened, he's tilled these hearts, he's readied the soil to plant, to put that seed in there, and and they hear it, the Bible says. They hold it, or they retain it, as some of your uh, uh, versions might read, the, the literal word there is hold it. And then they go on to do what? They bring forth fruit in patience. What the good soil does is set in contrast to the unproductive soils. Right? They hold on to it. They cling to it. Instead of being distracted by the world's life's pleasures, worries, riches, etc., they cling to it. They say, I'm going to trust Christ instead of relying on these things. If Jesus is to be their Lord, if Jesus is to be our Lord, we must hear him with our hearts. Right? It's not just simply a, a hearing, but it's a hearing with the heart. It's a hearing that trusts, not in our own words and will, but in the words and will that is the Lord's. Right? A Christian reorients his whole entire life around Jesus and his word. That's what Jesus himself is doing. And he's so after human hearts and hearing that look what he does for the rest of the chapter there. Of course, we're not going to look at it now. But look at the two following stories. He talks about a lamp on a stand. Look at verse 18. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. He's going after hearts again. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. There, the, the, There's two people. Those who have and those who don't have. He's going after heart hearers. And then you look at the next story. Jesus' mothers and brothers. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to, him, came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting, wanting to see you. So there you got the family relationship. Jesus loves his family. Who are those Jesus loves? He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. 
he is completely after everyone reorienting their lives around him and his word. You see the importance of scripture here, don't you? Even in what Jesus is doing. He's saying, listen to me, listen to my word. Listen to my word about a word, is what he's doing. Scripture is so important that we are, in fact, to base our whole entire lives on it. Why would we do anything less given the nature of Scripture? So just listen to these verses, okay? And be amazed as if, God, as if you were hearing the very words of God, which they are. 2 Timothy 3.16 reads, All of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's breathed out by God, the divine. 2 Peter 1.20, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So, no, right? It doesn't come from our own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is Holy Spirit produced from God himself. Okay, so given these truths about the Scripture, why would we get our wisdom from anywhere else? Given that the word of God is the will of God for our lives that tells us how we can worship him and honor him and live lives that glorify him, why in the world would we pursue following the lives of those on the sitcoms? I've been guilty of this, right? Maybe we spent so much time getting our, our wisdom from magazines of the world, talking about how 20 ways to better fill in the blank, have better gardens or have a better love life, whatever. Or we can spend hours and hours following sports. Which, which in, in, in and of itself is not bad. You know, again, our hearts though, we can pursue those things and not God, the giver of those things. Why would, why would you get your wisdom from anything else other than God's word? Finally. There's no reason to once we understand God's word. We got this fantastic example. Listen to David's attitude towards the word. Listen to how he expresses his love for God's word. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That's Psalm 119.72 if you want to look it up. Here's another one. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Psalm 119 verse 62. Here's another one. I love your commands above gold, above fine gold. Psalm 119.127. Here's another one. How sweet are your words to my taste. So there you got almost like desires. You got the wantings and cravings. And he says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119, 103. That's a man who hears, who holds, and who does God's word. But is David perfect? Absolutely not. So the good thing is that even though we identify with David in, a, in his imperfection... We can pray, God has given us these words, we can pray them so that his words, David's words, become our words. Okay, so, so here's a time of application. Uh, to help us all become those who hear, hold, and do God's word, uh, we're going to think about how we pray over scripture. How is it in our struggle to hear, hold, and do God's word, how can we pray to make those words, to make God's words our words? Okay, we're going to do this by using an acronym, ACTS. Have you guys ever heard of this? ACTS? Raise the hands, come on. Okay. Um, glad 
you guys have heard it. Acts stands for, A is for adoration. So if you're taking notes, you want to write these words down, just go ahead and write them down in order like that. Adoration. C stands for confession. T, thanks for, sorry, T stands for thanksgiving. And S stands for supplication. Um, now I'll walk through those words. Some of them are, are large and confusing words. So when, we're, when we are studying the word of God in our devotions, so last week I encouraged you guys to read this passage over and over and over again this week. Uh, as you are studying your devotions, when you come across a verse, let's say like Psalm 119.72, this is what it reads. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Okay, so you go through Acts. You start with adoration. Adoration is basically like, what are the reasons that we have to love God? What are the reasons that we have to praise God? Okay? So you're asking yourself this question. Everybody turn there. Psalm 119, verse 72. And we're just going to go ahead and pray through God's word. Psalm 119, verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Okay, y'all should hopefully be there by now. Okay, so we come across that verse. We're thinking, okay, we probably heard this a thousand times. But we begin to ask ourselves this question. What reason do we have to adore God from this passage? Or what can we praise God for from this passage? I think that's simpler. What can we praise God for from this passage? The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I praise you, God, that you are actually a giver. You are a God who gives and you've given us your law. And it's not just a boring law, like a constitution. We all come together and figure out what ought to be. It is a personal law. I praise you, God, for being a personal God because the law comes from your mouth. And even though I don't believe it now, it is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. It is better. I might not feel it now, but Lord, I praise you. For being the giver of good gifts. You give me good things. They're personal. And it's ultimate, supreme. You are in fact supreme. You are perfect, Lord. You are better. You ought to be better to me than everything in the world. Okay, those, are, those are just a handful of things we can praise God for, right? Then we move to confession. We're still praying through the word here. Based on this passage, is there anything I need to confess to God and ask forgiveness for? The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I confess, Lord, that that is simply not the case at this moment. It is not the case when I want to go on the internet and look at pornography. It is not the case. I confess it, Lord, because I love gold and riches. I want to be rich. I love my comfort more than you. I love... You can fill in the blank. More than the law that comes from your mouth. I confess, Lord, that I don't care about your law. Oftentimes, I confess I would rather listen to my own law, the law that comes from my own mouth, the law that comes from my own will, as if that, that were even possible. Look at all these things that we can confess. Then you move on to thanks. From this passage, what can I thank God for? Lord Jesus, I thank you that even though I am a sinner, you still speak to me. The very fact that we can open our Bibles and read this verse, even now, as we sit in the pews, is evidence of God's grace. I thank you, Lord, that you speak to me, that you give me your law from your own very mouth. You don't hide it. It's not concealed. It's plain. And it gives me life. It's better. 
and then we move to supplication, or this basically means what can we ask God given this text? Based on this passage, what can I ask God for? Okay, so then we come to the text. Lord Jesus, help me appreciate and love your law that comes from your mouth. Help me respect and love you because you've spoken. Lord Jesus, we ask you that it would in fact be real, that your law would be better to me than anything I can ever imagine. Please, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, do these things in my heart. That's Acts, A-C-T-S. What can we adore God for or what can we praise God for? What can we confess to God given this text? From this passage, what can we thank God for? And then from this passage, what can we ask God for? So you'll see how central the God's word is to be in our lives. Jesus calls Christians to reorient themselves to him and his word. That's how crucial it is to be in our lives. And we see it also in, in uh, our corporate service. So when we gather together, everything we do is to be based in the word. That's why we sing biblical songs. It's why oftentimes we, we take time to read scripture or read scriptural readings, like we did last week from the hymnal all the way in the back. It's why we sing and pray. It's why we read. And it's why we sit and be quiet and listen to the preaching of his words. Because th- at that moment... When the word goes forward, that the spirit goes out with it, transforming us to make us more into the image of his son. It's a great picture, isn't it? Of what submission to a holy, sovereign, speaking, personal God is. Is we be quiet and we listen to God's word. So I thank God that I'm able to serve at Hacienda Heights. I'm thankful that Rick has been taking us through the entire Old Testament and then will be taking us through the entire whole New Testament. The statement is... That all of God's word is applicable and relevant to our lives today. If, if Rick were determined to just preach his own wisdom, he'd be abandoning the Bible, as would I. But he's taking the time to teach us the whole entire counsel of God's word. So if you are visiting a church and looking for a church to go to, that's one thing you want to be examining. is Based on the service, is this a church that's rooted in the Bible? Because if it isn't, you don't want to be going there. You don't want that to be your home. We know what it's like for people to disregard God's will and word, don't we? That's what Adam and Eve did. The Lord creates them. He creates them to be in a wonderful relationship with him himself. He gives them the bounds in which they are to play and enjoy that relationship just like we as parents would do. You know, there are boundaries and they say, you know, I don't give a rip. I'm going to go do what I think should, what, what I think is good and right. God told me I'm not supposed to eat of this thing. I don't care. I think it is good, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. So we know what, that, what, that, how, what the results were. Sin and death entered into the world. But through God's word, he has given us the pathway back. Ultimately, the word that is Jesus Christ. So in his word, we know the expectations. We know what God expects from people. He expects them to confess their sin because they're not perfect. God is perfect. Through God's word, he's given us the way to salvation. The word, ultimately, Jesus Christ, whom he sent, took on flesh, died on the cross, bore our guilt and the wrath that we deserved, so that everyone who trusts in him would be saved. They would be reconciled to God. We know that because of this Bible, because of the word of God. We know how we can be saved. We are to repent and believe. We know that from the word. And then we know what happens in the future as well. Jesus, the rightful king, The sovereign ruler will come back 
to finally sit on the throne forever. And those who do not hear and do not hold and do not do God's word, the Bible says they will not be saved because they are disregarding the king. What's the penalty for doing that in a kingdom where the king is sovereign? Exactly, Shannon's death. So we understand on a human level how much more significant is it on a divine level. If you have not repented of your sins and believed, Jesus stands here now saying, reorient yourselves to me and my word. Repent and believe and you can be saved, in fact. Not only be saved, but then have a wonderful relationship in God's kingdom. Celebrating, worshiping the king with other citizens. God saves those who hear, hold, do his word. And he calls us all to reorient our lives around him and his word. In fact, he demands it as the rightful king, the loving king, the merciful king. So let us pray this week as we go on to this, into this week. Let's pray that God would make us not only hearers but holders. In this case, we look specifically at how to pray over God's word and then doers of his word. We want to be heart hearers that produce fruit in perseverance. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we do in fact confess that oftentimes we have disregard for your word. We would rather listen to our own words, our own wisdom, or man's words and man's wisdom. Lord, we confess these things and we recognize that you speak truth and that in your truth, we pray that by your spirit you would cause us to be uh, your people who hear and hold onto your word with a good heart and who bring forth fruit in perseverance. Cause us, Lord, to persevere as we run this fight of faith. And we pray that you would do it for your glory. For First Baptist Hacienda Heights, we pray that we would do it for your glory in Hacienda Heights, that it would be made known amongst the people who live here, that we are people of your word, that we are people who center and reorient our lives around you and what you've said. Lord, make the gospel so much more sweet to us, even this week, even today, as we think about how we have heard your word, and if we had not, we would not have believed. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for the people who told us about you and who told us your word. So, Lord, make us people who hear, hold, and do your word. In your name we pray. Amen.